Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. Today we're going to be talking about the case of Tracy Hollett and J.B. Beasley. But first, Montana, what drink are we drinking today? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I've been nerding out about this drink. (laughs) Uh, So today's drink is actually not a drink drink. It is a shot. Um, It is called the DNA cocktail, strawberry cocktail. So it is two thirds ounces of, you can use the blue liqueur or you can use what we have apparently found out is better, the clear liqueur. So it's two thirds ounce gin, one third ounce uh, blue liqueur, or again, use clear liqueur because it works better well it's blue but it's the the cocktail version not the liqueur okay yeah cocktail version um and then you have two ounces of pineapple juice and some strawberries that you can puree and you're gonna rim your glass with lime juice and dip it in powdered sugar So the reason that this is called, and this is why I'm nerding out, because I originally made this cocktail, or I'd say cocktail, uh, this shot, and I took it in to show my husband, because I'm a super dork, and I was like, look at this, you can see the actual DNA being separated from the strawberries inside the glass, and I was like, look at this white film, and he was like, oh, that's super cool. And then he took the shot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I, I was supposed to have that <laughs> for my recording. So I was I, just showing you. <laughs> so I had to, uh, we had to delay recording for about 10 minutes <laughs> so I could make another one. Uh one thing that you want to do is make sure that you pour your liquor in slowly so that it doesn't mix so quickly with uh, the liqueur. Uh, as well as you want to make sure they're all close to the same temperature, which I didn't do. So mine doesn't look as fancy as Samantha's. We'll post a video or a photo of it. And you want to make sure you have 70 uh, proof alcohol because it it works best for the DNA extraction. So basically what happens is you have, so strawberries have wall cells on them called cellulose. And when they get really super cold and then they start to like, unthaw or whatever those cells break down and because of that it causes the dna to kind of like moosh up and when you add a pineapple juice to it the pineapple juice contains bromelain which breaks down the chromosomes leaving the dna free to float around and when you add the alcohol to it The alcohol is negatively charged where the strawberries are positively charged. So they kind of 
float in the middle. So it was it was a little science experiment, and I was super happy about it. <laughs> You're geeking out hard. <laughs> geeking out so hard. Anyway, <laughs> Sam, let's take this shot and let's hear about your case. Cheers, Cheers my friend. Oh, that wasn't bad. Quite tasty. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. strawberry DNA. Who would have thought? Took a shot of strawberry DNA. Oh, right. I didn't even say why we called it, uh, why we chose that one. <laughs> no. I well, geeked so hard. Why did I choose this one, Samantha? So DNA is going to play a very huge part in this case, and I'll talk about it more. Um, so it just worked perfectly. Plus, you have all this fancy geeky stuff that you in- incorporated with it, so it worked really nicely. Hey, again, I'm not going to go into the details of how DNA works and how they break it up and use it, but we'll get there later. Okay. Look, I watched a lot of YouTube videos (laughs) on the way DNA works and extracting DNA from fruit. And that wasn't the only video. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the case. And this case was actually brought to my attention by my husband. Um, It is from the Dothan area, which is where he's from. So he actually remembers this case when it first got started, when it initially happened. Um, And there was a recent development on the case, so it kind of brought it back to his mind and he asked me to do it. So without further ado, um, this is the case of Tracy Hollett and J.B. Beasley. On July 31st, 1999, they were headed out to a party to celebrate JB's 17th birthday, which was that day. Um, And they were both 17 years old. It's debated between the family and some of the the factual sites that I was able to to find, whether it was a field party, which is what most of them say. The family says they, they didn't think she was going to a field party when they had told her where she was going or when the daughters had said where they were going, it was just going to be a a birthday party at a friend's house. So it could go either way. But in either case, they left around 10 p.m. and they were driving from Dothan and the party was going to be about 10 miles north in Headland. Wait, what year was this? 1999. Okay. I was about to say, if this was 2000s, a 10 o'clock party for a 17-year-old, I feel like, helicopter. Yeah, well, and what's crazy is, you know, this is pre-cell phones, pre-Google Maps, all of that. So, um, they got lost somewhere along the way, and they found themselves at a convenience store called, it was called a Big Little Convenience Store, that was the name of it, in Ozark, Alabama, around 1130. So, they've been driving around for, like, hour, hour and a half. And Go Ozark, home. Right. Well, they were lost. They couldn't. Uh, so Ozark is about 20 miles northwest of, of uh, Dothan. When they arrived, the store, the store was already closed, but there was a woman there named Marilyn Merritt with her daughter. Uh, they had stopped to buy a soda and the store had closed at 11. So it's, I, I think they went to buy a soda and the store was already closed. So they just happened to be there at the same time. And, and happened chance. Yeah, it just kind of worked that way. Um, 
And according to Miss Merritt, the car was clean. The girls seemed fine. Nothing seemed wrong or concerning. They just asked for directions to get back to Dothan. So she provided them um, with those directions. And Tracy went to the payphone that was there and called her mother, Carol Roberts, to let her know that they had gotten lost, but they were in Ozark and they had gotten directions from someone there. And they were already headed back to Dothan to go home because obviously they had missed the party. At the end of the call, or uh, she ended the call by saying, Mom, I love you, and I'll be home soon. Wait. So they were driving around for an hour and a half? Yeah, because they they had just gotten lost. Yeah, they got lost. They couldn't find a place to stop, I guess. I mean, at first, you probably think you're going in the right direction, and you got to think it's 10 o'clock, it's nighttime. They don't have cell phones. They're not going to want to stop just anywhere. So they found this convenience store, thought they could talk to somebody in there and it was closed but an hour and a half i mean it says that they headed out around 10 and they arrived around 11 30 in ozark which was 20 miles northwest of dothan these are all back roads the only main road is 231 and that's a four-lane highway but you're talking like 40 minutes at most driving probably this is, this is all I could find as far as them getting lost. Nobody else talked to them in between. At least nobody that's come forward. Um, this okay. was just the very next contact that they had was, was at this convenience store. Miss um, Merritt then said later that she saw them leaving the park. Her and her daughter both said they saw them leave the parking lot and get on the highway going in the right direction that she had provided to them. And this is the last time that they were seen alive. After receiving the call, Carol Roberts, the mother who had been working a long shift, fell asleep because she wasn't worried that her daughter would be home. You know, she was very responsible. She trusted she'd be there. When she woke up in the morning and learned that Tracy had not returned, she immediately talked to local police and reported her daughter missing around 8 a.m. Because it wasn't like Tracy at all. She, again, super reliable. If she said she was going to be home, she was going to be home. From what I could tell... Um, based on what the parents had said she didn't really like going out and being out for a really long time for what they could tell she was going to go to the party hang out for a little bit peace out go back home girl after my own heart (sighs) no kidding way ahead of her time so i mean and if you think about it she didn't even have to call her mom because there was no cell phone she didn't have to call her mom on the payphone say hey we got lost her mom might not have even thought anything about it she knew she was going to a party so i mean the fact that she even stopped to do that kind of shows what kind of a person she was especially at 17 yeah no kidding so the this is one case where the police did not second guess what the mom had said like they knew her they knew it was out outside of the norm so immediately they went out to they tried to come through the area see if anybody had seen them or talked to them did their own search right away so they didn't even make them wait the the period of time In the meantime, in Ozark at 9 a.m. on August 1st, 1999, so that was the next morning, J.B.'s Mazda was found on Herring Street in Ozark, less than a mile away from the payphone Tracy had used to call her mother hours ago. When the car was discovered, they didn't find the keys. They didn't really see anything amiss from outside of the car. There was no damage to the car, but the car was very muddy and almost out of gas, despite 
it being reportedly filled up the previous day. The parents had given the money to the girls to go ahead and fill up the car the previous day. So that's how they knew that it had been filled up. But that's not, that wouldn't be crazy if they spent an hour and a half driving around. So that was one thing that was talked about um, in a lot of the, the articles that I read. The Mazda that she had had an 18 gallon tank. And based on the average gas mileage that it would have had, it should have gone on for like eight or nine hours. Yeah. So for it to be almost out of gas, it basically would have been driving all night long in order for it to run through that much. Unless, but they don't know for sure that she filled up her gas tank. She might have put half as much in there. Because, I mean... I was waiting to see if you would pick that up. I, as as a teenager, would have been like, you know what? I'm only going to use half this money to put my gas tank. The other half, I'm going to buy sour straws. (laughs) (laughs) The convenience store. That was one thing that was mentioned in one of the articles. Um, But, I mean, that is true. They They don't have, like, a receipt or anything showing she filled up the car. But, at the very least, you would expect that they had put a decent amount of gas in the car since they knew they were going to be going to this party that night. Um, You would think. Plus I would, I would think if they were getting low in gas, they probably would have, when she called her mom would have at least checked with her and said, Hey, you know, we're running low on gas or can you come get us or something like that? I don't, I don't think she would have been, we'll be home soon. Um, Plus the car is still in Ozark, which is weird. Not even, I mean, it's, it's right where she had just left. It, I mean, it wasn't even a mile from the payphone. So, And it was in the opposite direction from the direction that um, Merritt had, told, had said that they went. So that was also odd. And the direction that the car was parked made it seem like they were going back to the convenience store. So again, I don't, I don't see how they could have gotten turned around. That, that wasn't the direction she gave them at all. Now, there was, um, just to get off on a little tangent, there was very, there's a term that has a lot of different, like, part of the direction that they had to go. There was a turn that they had to take to get back on 231. For anybody that's local to our area or has been in Dothan, 231 is the main highway. If you can get on 231, you're going to get to Dothan. If you get on 231 going the opposite direction, you're going to get to Montgomery. So, like, it's a straight shot. I mean, anybody that is from that area would know get to that road or get to that highway and you can make it. There's also another highway that's 132. So it's the same numbers but in a different direction, like in a different order. So some have debated that maybe, you know, they're 17-year-olds, it's late at night, probably getting nervous because they're lost. They may have taken the wrong turn because the numbers were the same, but in a different order, they turned the wrong direction and they went on, went towards the wrong highway. I talked to my husband about this because I was like, I just don't feel like that would have been the case because anybody from that area, whether they were 17 or not, knows what a main road is. The one close to me is 65. If you can get to 65, you can get anywhere you want. Um, I'm not going to mistake that interstate for a different interstate. Same same way with the highways. Like that's one of the first things you're going to learn, especially if, if they were already had the mindset of going 10 miles away. I mean, I feel like they knew the area pretty well. Well, what I can say, 
about that is 12, 13 years ago, my sister and I, we decided to make a trip to Georgia on a whim. We lived together in an apartment and we were like, let's go to Georgia out of the blue. So we looked up direct. This was like, this was the time of uh, map quests and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we didn't have like a GPS or anything like that. And so we looked up directions. We wrote down directions and it was just like, because we didn't have the money to like, just look up on our phones at that time, like directions. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, I, pr- I would, I would get it printed out. The map quest directions printed out and it would get you about within five miles of your destination and be like, all right, you're good. Yeah. But that's basically, <laughs> we looked at map quest. We wrote down map quest cause we didn't have a printer. We barely had a couch at the time. And we, in the middle of the night, just decided to drive to Georgia. And it was a bunch of these back roads. And I remember driving it being like, I feel like we could be murdered back here. What if I had to pee? What if we ran out of gas? And then, but then we would hit like one of those major highways. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, This highway seems familiar. Let me keep going down it. (laughs) yeah and i feel like once they got to the highway they would have been fine but and that's that's what she gave them directions how to get to the highway because from that point they knew how to get there so i just i don't see it likely i mean i know for a lot of people 20 miles is really out out of the way but we're in alabama (laughs) there ain't a lot going on around here there's not a lot going on around so i mean i'm 10 miles from the closest town where i live so I feel like they, I just, I, I, I don't know their mindset, obviously, but I just, I don't feel like the road situation really would have thrown them off that much. No, because any road you get on, you're either going to end up on, near an interstate or like a major highway. You're talking like uh, 31, it's at least 31, because 31 mm-hmm. runs through the entire state or uh, 280 or just any of those. Yeah, I mean, you can take 230, 231 that I was talking about. That literally goes, so Dothan has a circular highway around it. So the the 231 goes all the way around the city. And there's an exit on either side. So you can go north or south or east or west. I can't remember. But anybody who's from Dothan is going to be familiar with that. And that's going to be the main thing they're going to be looking for. Because they were from Dothan. So that was something they were familiar with. Yeah, we're talking about 17-year-olds, not just got their license they've been driving for a year at least at least assuming legally <laughs> it, well, be, it could be five, it could be two years legally but we're talking about the late 90s uh, <laughs> they those kids yeah they had their license and they were probably driving before then you know and they didn't again they didn't have gps so it's not like every time they got in their car they had a gps they had to know like where they were going yeah and especially so. if let's say they didn't fill their gas tank, they really would be making a point to make sure they know where they're going. You would, because yeah. They don't, they don't have a lot of wiggle room on that. So anyway. Sorry, so that anyways, was a long tangent. <laughs> was, I mean, and it went into some of the things that I was going to talk about anyway. But so the car was found, there was no damage to it, but the car was muddy and almost out of gas. So if it had been on the highways, why would it be muddy? The lady, the Miss Merritt had said that it was clean when she saw it. The keys were not found. The car doors were unlocked and the front driver's window was rolled down a few inches. 
They also found JB's driver's license on the dash, and both of the girls' purses were inside the car, but the girls were nowhere to be seen. Wait. And this was JB's car. Right. And her driving's, driver's license was on the dash. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know what that makes me think of. Yes. I'll get there. Okay. Uh, so this is where we are right now. They, you know, hours passed by. No one's seen the girls. Nobody has said anything about any updates since she had made that phone call and since she had talked to Miss Merritt. So an investigator was sent from Dothan to take the car back to Dothan from Ozark so that they could look at it, see what they could find. While they were waiting on the tow truck, they discovered they could open the trunk with a lever found inside without needing keys. Okay. What, just what? to check, just to check. Raise a hands. How many of us are aware that we can open a trunk to a car without keys from inside the cab? It's unlocked. Wait, it's my... unlocked. They can get in. My first vehicle, sorry, no, my second vehicle, my first vehicle was like an Explorer, so didn't really have a trunk, had a cargo area, but the first one that I bought on my own, solely by myself, was a Honda Accord, 1994, something like that. The only way I could get in that trunk was from a lever inside the car, (laughs) I don't understand. These are police officers, full grown men. What are you talking about? They go in the car, they see the driver's license, they see the purses, they don't know where these girls are. Oh, guess we'll wait until this investigator gets here to take it back to Dothan. They don't even check the trunk. And then they're like, oh, wait a second. There's a lever to- inside we this car. Totally, we could totally open this up. Let's, let's just do that. After hours, by the way. Hours had passed. So at this point, six hours had passed since the discovery of the car. It's almost two o'clock in the afternoon when they opened the trunk to discover the bodies of both girls. Six so hours. This is this is going to be a very morbid question, but I gotta know. Could they have been alive? No. Okay. That's actually my next point. But think about it. It's been six hours in South Alabama on August 1st. Oh, it's hot as shit. In the afternoon. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon when they open it. Hot as fuck. (laughs) It's so hot. So that's not the best situation to be in. Uh, I mean, if you're trying to get... Yeah, it's it's not good. So, um, it appeared that they may have been sexually assaulted initially when they, they, they saw them. It appeared they could have been sexually assaulted and then shot to death. Tracy was shot in the temple and JB was shot in the cheek. Both were with a nine millimeter and both were fatal. A cheek shot was fatal? Yeah, normally it's not. And that was brought up, but somehow it managed to hit in the right way. I mean, I guess it was maybe pointing up somehow. It would have had to have been, and it would have had to bypass her teeth or just shattered her teeth. Like, yeah, they sorry didn't to say any- morbid about that, but. No, they didn't say any- anything about any damage to the teeth. They didn't say anything about it going straight through. So it must have been just like through the cheek and up into the head. It was suspected, this is the only thing that they could come up with, but it's kind of a duh thing. It was suspected that they'd been lured or forced into a secluded area after leaving the convenience store and killed there and then transported in the trunk to Herring Street because there was no, there, there didn't seem to be any evidence of any type of struggle where the car was found. 
and there was mud on the car. So it wouldn't have been where they were because I was on the street. So did they have any type of like bruising or anything like that? Uh, there's no Sorry. obvious signs. No, <laughs> there's no obvious signs of a struggle. Tracy had a few scratches on her arm and briar thorns in her pants. Her new short shoes were caked in mud. Um, and from the way the bodies were positioned, it looked as though her body had been inserted first and a nine millimeter casing was resting on her leg. JB was noticeably dirty um, and had mud on her shoes as well. Both girls' pants were wet below the knee. So whoever did this marched them out somewhere where it's muddy, killed them, toted them back to the car, put them in the trunk. This is my assumption. In, in, in my theory. Okay. Another theory was, I mean, think about it. It's kind of like what you were saying. If you're lost, you're like, what if I have to go to the bathroom? What if I run out of gas? What if you have to go to the bathroom? They stopped at a convenience store. It was closed. Maybe they stopped somewhere. And you know, as ladies, we want a little bit of privacy. So they stopped somewhere, maybe went where they couldn't be seen from the road, relieved themselves and went to go back to the car. And somebody stopped. They saw the car on the side of the road, stopped. And that's where everything happened. Listen, the only thing I'm going to say about that is going on road trips with my sister who has to pee every 20 minutes. <laughs> after the fourth stop, I handed her a cup and said, pee in this. We're not stopping again. So, pee in your car, ladies. I mean, not only men can do it. At, at midnight, I mean, this is getting close to midnight in a place you do not know. Yeah, on back don't. roads. Hold it or figure something out. But, I mean, at least have a lookout that you can scream and take off running. So something you don't have to go in the woods to pee either. No, especially if it's, if it's midnight. Yeah. Just go behind it. Go on the other side of your car. Pop a squat, get back up, go get that tire. Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. Be ready to whack him right in the face. Robbery was immediately ruled out as nothing was missing from the girl's purses or the car. The only thing missing were the keys themselves. And here's another question. So why take the keys? They left the car unlocked. Even if they hadn't done that, the driver's side window was rolled down. So why take the keys? They were going to come back. Possibly. But again, why leave them? It's not going to make much of a difference. Anybody can get in the car. I mean, if they can see the car, what else are they going to do? They're just going to go, oh, okay, here's a random car that none of us have seen. This is a small town. They're not going to report that. Obviously, they did because it was found at 9 a.m. True. And plus, going back would be really risky. If they hadn't been back by 9 a.m. when people are starting to get up and move around, I don't think they were going to come back. Maybe they initially had an idea to come back. I don't maybe. know. Or maybe it was taken as a trophy. Oh, yeah, that's what I was literally about to say. Because it did have a uh, a key ring, a key uh, like a a fob or whatever that was hers that was decorative of some kind. I can't remember what it, it it had something on it. So I mean, it's possible that they could have done that. Well, that's why I don't carry anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. So that was my only other thought was, you know, the windows rolled down. Why would they take the keys? The autopsy revealed that neither girl had been raped. This is what, this is what the police re- released. It, the autopsy said that ne- revealed that neither girl had been raped and there was no traces of dro- drugs or alcohol in their systems. 
about then, two. Go ahead. What was the? So not robbery. Nope. And they're certain about the rape. Well, I mean, that's what that's what the police have said. There was no evidence of sexual assault. They didn't steal the car. Nope. And they're not in a place that anybody would have known them. They're 20 miles away from their home. I just don't. Okay, go on. Yeah, this is why this was an unsolved case for a very long time. About two months later, the crime lab did report that traces of semen were found on JB's bra, panties, and skin. Boom! Only on the outside, like... Only on her bra, panties, and skin. So he, like... And it was Trace amounts. It's Trace amounts, oh, too. it could have been a boyfriend. Previous. So, that was a theory. There was there was also an unknown palm print on the lid of the trunk. But no, there were no other fingerprints or palm prints anywhere else. Well, so it was the only thing they had to go off of. Could be an oil change person or something like that. Yeah, there's no telling. At this point, the police were banking on the semen, the traces of semen found, to find the killer and eliminate suspects, since that was basically all they felt like they had to go on at the time. There were several suspects. There wasn't a lot about them. I don't really feel like there's a real need to go over them, because they were all eliminated with the DNA. Uh, And there was, I think... Three or four that they kind of looked at, but it wasn't anything real serious. It was basically somebody said something about them. They brought them in, talked to them, tested the DNA, came out negative, sent them home. That was it. Cool. Around the same time that Tracy was calling her mom from the payphone, Johnny William Barentine, a 28-year-old part-time mechanic, told his wife he was going to get milk for their two-year-old son at the convenience store. He did not return until 1 a.m., visibly shaken, saying he had been hit by a black truck with a dothan tag near Herring Street. Shortly after that, he started telling people around town that he knew more about the murders, and some even reported that he had told them that he may have even known who did it. So those friends urged him to go to the police with the information and claim the reward, because the re- they had they had started a reward to begin with to try to get any information whatsoever. And as time was going on, the reward money was increasing because they were adding to it. On September 1st, one full month after the bodies were found, he went to the police to give his report of what he knew. At that point, it was $35,000 for the reward. He spoke with the police for four hours, giving about six different stories, all while being videotaped. He even placed himself at the scene of the crime in some of the stories. (laughs) Stupid. According to a website that I got a lot of information from, stonecoldproject.com, according to the Ozark Police Chief, Tony R. Spivey, Barentine initially said that on the night of the killings, he had seen a black truck speeding away from the area where the girls were found. As the interview continued, he changed his story several times, finally claiming he'd picked up a quote-unquote tattooed van that he didn't know, and the two drove by the big little store. Barentine said the man to whom he'd given the ride got into the car with the two girls, whom Barentine de- identified as the dead girls. That was literally how he identified them. And told him to follow them. He said they ended up on Herring, Herring Avenue, where the man got the girls out of the car. He then said that he heard two gunshots, and when the man returned, Barentine gave him a ride from the scene and then went home. It sounds like a wild night. 
if I, if I hear a gunshot, I'm not going to wait. And let him back in your car? Let him back in my car. And then take him wherever he wanted to go? And go home? This is cool. Uh, What was that noise? I want nothing to do with this, but go ahead and get in the car and I'll take you somewhere else. Sure, sure, sure. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Also... What a very specific thing to say. What else did this guy look like outside of having tattoos? Interesting you should ask that. One of the versions he provided, he said that he the guy that he had picked up was his neighbor, who was a tattooed man. Wouldn't you but wouldn't you remember? I said wouldn't you have said that to begin with? I don't know. Like I said he gave like six different stories, so and it's all on videotape. So, so I don't really understand how they don't know that this is their guy at this point. I'm just, yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> Crazy enough, the police also realized he lived less than a mile away from where the bodies had been discovered. Shocking. The police arrested him as a prime suspect with two counts of capital degree murder. Okay. Barentine immediately confessed that he had made up all of the stories because he was trying to get the reward money and he didn't actually see anything. The police stated that the story he had provided had enough to warrant the arrest and on September 21st there was a preliminary hearing. So I'm guessing he's not the guy. What makes you think that? Charles Higgins testified Barentine was able to describe the clothing as well as other items consistent with the crime. He was held without bond in Dale County Jail from the time of his arrest on September 1st. In an October 18th hearing, he denied any involvement in the killings, again stating he had made it all up and he didn't see anything that night. He had just been to the convenience store around 11 to pick up milk for his son. He was still denied bail and assigned a lawyer, Bill Caminos, to represent him. So one of my questions (laughs) that came up. You only had one. One of the first ones was, did he ever bring back the milk? He went to get milk for their two-year-old son. Also, it was it was testified that it was supposed to be around the time around the same time she was calling from a payphone. So that would have been eleven thirty. The convenience store closed at eleven. If he was a local, he would have known the store closed at eleven. So why would he leave? Was uh, Merritt? She did not say anything about seeing him. No, no, no. Was Merritt a local, though? Oh, so it doesn't when, say. Wouldn't she have known? It doesn't say. So I don't I don't know for sure. So maybe this was like, they just didn't realize? I don't know. Or maybe they closed early. I don't know. It, it seems like everything I read said that they closed at 11, and that was their normal closing time. So I don't know why... Either of these people would have been there. I mean, for all I know, um, the Miss Merritt could have been there for a while because she went there to get juice for her kids. So it doesn't say that she got it. She didn't get it. How long she was there. I mean, she stayed there until they left. So, yeah, there's no telling. But that was one of my questions was, and, and not to mention he was gone for two hours. He left at around 11, 11.30, didn't come back until 1. What was he doing for two hours? Staying a side piece? <laughs> Maybe. And then I would have confessed to the side piece over getting, getting uh, 
in jail for murder. I mean, I mean, yeah, but but uh, I'm assuming this is gonna come up, but I'm guessing they tested the DNA against him. Well, obviously, right? That's how they're eliminating suspects. So did it match? Okay, not there yet. Fine, (laughs) fine. We're not there. So wait, they arrested him before they tested the DNA against his. I know it's the late nineties, but at the same time. They didn't we're have get, anything on him. We're getting there. I told you, there's a lot of similarities between this case and your last they, case. They didn't there's have... There's going to be so much, like, They had suspicions. They didn't mm-hmm. have any type well, as of far as, circumstantial evidence. As far as they were concerned, they basically had a confession. Because he basically he told had, him he was an accomplice. He knew all about it. What are you talking about? He made up the truck. There's a lot of just insinuations, like they're just pulling what they want out of this quote-unquote testimony. Tattooed man? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let me let me get into a little more information. So the family of Barentine continued to support him and his innocence, saying there was no way he could have anything to do with the murders. Even his own lawyer, the one that was assigned to him, stated that despite needing to always take the client what the client said with a grain of salt, he still didn't, he didn't actually believe Barentine was capable of the crime. Not that he didn't do it, that he he flat out wasn't capable of it. Yeah, I just don't see him being intelligent enough to pull this off. Funny you should say that. As the time progressed, Barentine reported that he was tired by the end of the four hours he had been interviewed by the police when he came in there to give them information for the reward. Yeah, it's exhausting. He was never like, he was never told he could go to the bathroom or leave at any time during those four hours. It's assumed okay. If you and I go get called into a police station or we go to a police station to make a statement, you and I both know that the second we sit down or sit down, we have the option to say, I want a lawyer, I'm going to the bathroom, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty, I'm going to leave. And you can do any of those things. You can go get food, you can go get something to drink, you can leave that room, and you can ask for a lawyer. But somebody that doesn't understand Miranda rights... Which he wouldn't have been read his Miranda rights on He he wouldn't have been read his Miranda rights, but somebody who doesn't understand the concept of hey, you're just here talking to the police. You could sit there and you could tell the police you murdered those girls. And until they read you your Miranda rights and they put you under arrest, you can still leave. So he didn't know that. Didn't know. And he said he felt they had tricked him into telling the story that he gave. So that would explain why he gave six different accounts. Because maybe he gave the first one and they didn't like that one. They said that wasn't good enough. And so he gave another one where we heard this story before. Uh, let's see. The Memphis. That one. And uh, that whole documentary, Making of a Killer. Uh, where they held him in the, in the room name? for quite a while. So anyways, during one of the trials, it was reported that he had finished the 7th grade and a portion of the 8th grade. That was it. And he was attending special education classes throughout. Okay, so I was about to say, uh, I think I finished the 10th grade and then I dropped out. 
But I was in AP classes. <laughs> this is not in special education classes. So I feel like he, he probably, and you know, he's a part-time mechanic too. That was his job. So I feel like he could probably do a lot of things, but as far as the actual school aspect, that sort of thing, it seems like he had a lot of trouble with that. And his family kind of supported that idea. They didn't do a like a... Uh, IQ test. So I, I didn't have anything showing what his IQ was, but he obviously didn't understand any of his rights when he was in with the police, when he was being interrogated, which he was there to help out and give a statement of what he had seen. It turned into an interrogation is what it sounds like. Well, quite frankly, the average person, like just the normal average person doesn't understand their own rights. That's very true. They don't. So uh, it it doesn't say anything to his actual intelligence that he didn't understand that he couldn't just be like, I'm uncomfortable with the way this questioning is going. I would like to leave now. Well, the other thing was at some point he said that he had basically told them he was just tired. He just wanted to go. Could he go? And it was just like they wouldn't let him go. He didn't actually say it verbatim that he wanted to go. Um, it was even suggested that he had said something about a lawyer. He had been like, is there a lawyer here or is there a lawyer available? And they didn't stop it immediately, which is what they're supposed to do. The second somebody says the word lawyer, the, regardless of the context, you know that defense is going to throw that right at them saying he didn't even know he could leave before you guys arrested him. He didn't even know he could go to the bathroom, but you expect him to know he has to ask for a lawyer. Yeah. Brendan Dassey. Yeah, that's it. That was Brendan Dassey. I was like, who was that person <laughs> in my head this whole time? I'm like, you're better than me. I'm bad at names. Yeah. All right. I got it. I got it. <laughs> now it's not going to drive me crazy. <laughs> they did get other lawyers for Barentine and they said that they didn't believe the police would ever drop the charges if they felt they had any kind of link for him to the murders. And at this point, remember, they the don't have they have is the stories he told. And he didn't even tell the same story twice. So there's that. It should also be mentioned that at no point did Barentine mention any type of sexual activity whatsoever that would account for the traces of semen found on JB. The neighbor he had mentioned in the stories had an alibi, so he wasn't even there. And the DNA from the scene did not match him or the neighbor. They were eliminated. But he was still arrested and still held without bail. Yeah. I told you, you're going to be a little irritated about this one. How do you not, as an actual person, like, that's what I, that's what I They don't. eliminated three or four people based on the DNA alone. But they held him even though it didn't match. No, because they wanted to close this. Exactly. That was all that that's was. That's definitely what it seems like. I'll say that. Um, despite the fact that there was no physical evidence to link him to the crimes, he was held until January 2000 when a jury came back with the decision that there was not enough evidence to indict him and send him to trial. Good. So they had so to release him. this was a, uh, what is that so This called? was September. He was held, uh, September was when he was arrested. He was held until January. What's that hearing called, though? Um, a preliminary... Right. Grand jury. Grand jury. Yeah. So, yeah, if they don't find enough evidence, duh. 
Why um, would you even? But now I, that does mean that if they do find evidence, they can bring him back. But right now, you don't have enough, so you're no, going to yeah, let him go. But I'm shocked that the DA even actually brought that up to that court hearing with just that evidence. You're not alone. Oh, that's what a lot of people contested in a lot of the articles that I read. And I did listen to two podcasts before I forget. One was called Don't Get in the Van, which is actually really funny. Um, and theirs was a very brief overview. And the other one was Three Men, Three Men and a Mystery. That's actually a really good one. They're much, much more factual. They don't quite go into a lot of theories. Um, They're not. But they do have. Yeah. <laughs> they speculate, but not quite to that degree. Like they go into deep dives and I did listen to them I'm unlike Montana but in this case it was because I wanted more information and they gave so much more information than any of the articles that I read because they talked to the coroner got copies of the the whole files for these um copies of the autopsies all of that they've talked to experts so it's a good podcast if you want to go into a deeper dive in this to this case or any other ones they're a good one to go to that being said this is going to be a two-parter because i cannot fit the rest of this in here i'll end it in just a second but um theirs is like six so they'd obviously go into a lot more detail than i do but this is this is more this is about what i feel like is is doable um because 45 minutes to an hour can be a lot but anyway i'll I'll finish this up (laughs) I want to let you know that I'm going to go and listen to that podcast after we get done with this episode. Oh, please do. Uh, I'm going to wait until then because I don't know anything about this case. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. And it's bananas. I just, to me, like, it, it just, I'm a normal average person. And yeah, I've listened to a lot of true crime. I've spent a lot of time, like, researching true crime and things like that. But at the same time, even I, if somebody like that came to me and was like, yeah, and told me six different stories about so, I'd be like, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, they're just, they're trying talking to look nonsense. Cool, trying to get a reward, whatever. Yeah. And what happened to the whole, like, Police departments typically hold one piece of evidence back or a few pieces of evidence back so that they don't get false. Well, and I wonder if that's what happened with the sexual assault. Because if you if you noticed, I said multiple times, that's what the police have released. But they're banking so much on this DNA evidence. I mean, they're eliminating people based only on that. And if they weren't sexually assaulted, it was not found any place but on their clothing. That doesn't even prove anything. Oh, it just that could have been a boyfriend, and she didn't change her clothes. That's it. Like that, it literally doesn't prove anything. It it proves a person, another person, is involved with that person who died. It doesn't mean they were there when it happened. It doesn't mean they were even in the general vicinity hours before it happened. So it's just strange to me that they banked so much on this DNA evidence if that wasn't the case. Now, if you found it when, if you found it and they were sexually assaulted and you did find it per the rape kit, that's a whole nother story. But it just doesn't make sense in this case. Well, in any case, the police at, at one time also stated that Barentine had confessed to a cellmate 
he had killed the girls. Jailhouse snitch. We know how we, to... we all know how reliable those are. So that was the other thing that they had brought to the court to say that as proof. So literally all they have is words. They don't even have circumstantial evidence. They don't have other, anything. Other than he was gone during the time that they could have been killed. They don't even know for sure that they were killed at that time. He lived within a mile of the site and he told stories. That's it. That's all they got. So anyway, he was released. Um, he lived until January 22nd of 2017 where he died of cancer. His entire life he was followed by this case because there were plenty of people that thought he was guilty and got away with it. This was an unsolved case. And I say was, it really is an unsolved case. They do have somebody um, in custody and they have a court date scheduled for August right now. Um, but there's no, the, the court case obviously hasn't happened. So it's, it's not technically closed because we haven't concluded the case, but they do feel like they have enough evidence now with other things that they have the right person. And I'll get into that on part two. Um, and that's why I'm having to stop here because that's going to be a whole nother book of worms, but so what you're saying that's where is we're, that's where we're leaving it right today. They terrorize this young man for his entire mm-hmm. life until he died of cancer. Yeah. And he didn't have the funds, uh, education or wherewithal to be able to move. Nope. And get away from spent, it. That's where he'd spent his whole life. And his family supported him the entire time. They always said he had nothing to do with it, that he was, I don't know that they use the term like simple minded, but that's kind of the gist of what I got from the things that they had said that it it was just, you know, he had a kid, he had a wife, he wouldn't do this. He didn't have it in him. They said that from the very beginning. And then for them to go so hard with what little they had, I feel like they must've thought they had something else, but nothing else ever came to light. And I guess they obviously didn't because it went before the grand jury and they were knocked down. So I don't know what they were thinking. I guess they thought it was a slam dunk with the video that they had of his quote unquote confession. It's so it's kind of crazy to me that again, you know, the DA thought it was good enough to take to a grand jury and then the grand jury knocked it down and said, Hey, nay, nay, you don't have enough evidence. Um, do you know how grand juries work? Uh, by what do you mean by that question? I mean, I have a general idea. They present all the evidence and yes. to the jury to decide, so the jury can decide if that's sufficient to even take it to court. So it's actually, it works a lot like a regular jury. So it's just yeah, random. Yeah, they do, they are supposed to approach it for more of a factual manner. They don't make yeah, any so you, yeah, or anything like that. Nothing like that. It's a lot shorter. It's a lot more fact-based, but you have random people who are elected to this grand jury, they come in, they hear the facts, and then they say, they're given the, uh, how the law works. Like, hey, this is how the law works. You need this amount of evidence to be able to try somebody. Then they hear the evidence that's presented, and then they say, yes, you can go to, like, an actual court case with this, or no, you don't have enough evidence. So we're talking about people who are brought in from the street who are given basic instructions on how the law works and sit down 
listens to this and then says yes, yay or nay. So a lot of the times they will actually say yes because they're thinking in their head a DA has actually come and said that this is enough evidence and things like that. And especially when we're talking about Alabama, it's surprising to me that that actually was blocked before it went past this, you know, this court hearing to an actual case past the grand jury. That's, that's what's surprising to me. Yeah. And I mean, part of it, I think, that did them in was the public's deep seated belief in DNA. DNA is the end all be all. And that's not always the case. No, it's it not. definitely helps. It supports your case. It's another step of leading you down the path of who's guilty, but it doesn't mean that that's definitely the person. And in this case, what's worse is the DNA is just on the clothing. So that doesn't even prove anything. He didn't even know these girls at all he'd never even met them so and his it wasn't his dna so if everybody else is eliminated based on that but he's not please tell me more yeah why'd you why'd you have suspicions to interview these or have suspicions about these other people before you even knew about this guy and then you eliminated them with dna but you're not gonna yeah, I mean, it was basically, he was in the same boat as the rest of them, but I feel like he came to them, and they were like, oh, this is, this is perfect. I'm when in reality, shut down. he probably just wanted the money. Yeah, he obviously needed it. I mean, he's working as a part-time mechanic. I mean, you can make some good money, but he had a kid and a wife. I mean, that money could make a big difference. And know. the other thing is, you know, you... It's literally the same, but they have four hours of a confe- of these stories showing that the stories are contradictory. They don't match up. They don't give any details outside of what was already known. And they, they went on that without even having the DNA match and thought that the grand jury was going to say, yep, sounds good. Let's try this out. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, why would you even present that to a grand jury? Why and would then, and why then would jailhouse the DA... snitch? That's the other thing. Like, this is the pot, the boiling pot of the worst evidence ever presented in a court case. And you're gonna hang your your anchor on a jailhouse snitch and a fifteen confessions by somebody in four hours? Get the yeah. fuck out of here! Yeah. So, needless to say, the grand jury made a good decision good decision on that one because I, I don't I don't feel like he had anything to do with it I feel like he was uh doing something he probably wasn't supposed to do when oh, he left sure. the house and uh came up with this excuse of the truck to kind of cover that up um but I don't think he saw or heard anything until the next day when he found out what happened and then he was like oh this is even better I can I can get some money on top of this yeah probably bless them so yeah on the on the second one um i'll talk more in depth about how um how it progressed in the time between they didn't have an update from the point where he was released until 2018 or 19 it was a cold case so there's a lot of urban legends a lot of mysteries 
a lot of hunting, but nothing. So I'll go over some of the theories that came up in between there and then what recent development came up and then the trial that's coming up in August. Well, can we stop this recording and then start a new one so you can just tell me about it? No. <laughs> no. Nay, nay. You're Come on. All right. I guess I have to wait like the rest of you. Boo. Not quite as not quite as long. Well, good job, dude. This is an excellent episode. I want to reach through this computer and strangle the life out of you. Don't research. I want to know what's happened. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. But I'm going to wait, just like everybody else will. I will know sooner than you guys. (laughs) But not too much sooner. Uh, Samantha. Where can our listeners find us on Instagram? At Reaper Tales Podcast. You can find us at Reaper Tales Podcast on Facebook. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. You can email us uh, with any true crime stories that you know, any paranormal stories that you know. Um, Anything you want us to cover. Anything you want us to cover. We like the spooky. We like the different uh, stories that other people haven't heard. And reach out to us anytime. Absolutely. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Like the show. Yeah. Rate and review. That's how we get our name out there. And Um, if there's one that we are not currently on, let us know. We'll see about getting on other ones so you can hear us yes other streaming channels so until next time the reaper will come